1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is taken from John, chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. God grant that I may speak in his name and in the power of his spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So I said, it's lovely to be back, lovely to see Sago flourishing. Lovely to see your new buildings. Um, If you'll permit me one trip down memory lane, if you uh, had been around, and some of you were uh, 30-odd years ago, you remember that in those days we were beginning the first discussions about what to do about the building. And there were two options before us. One was to take it out that way, and the other was to build down the side. Uh, And we went in those days for building out at the back, and now you've done the side as well. So that's, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, and long may St. Andrew's flourish. Uh, but as any of you know who've been involved in a building project, this, you know, Andrew, you may have to look after him after I've said this. The work 
is only about to begin. It's one thing to build a building. It's an immense thing to raise, well, over three million pounds or whatever it is. That's fantastic. The work is about to begin because buildings are mere shells unless they're used for the purpose for which they are built. So how does this building, this new building, I'm sure you've thought about it a huge amount, how does it realize its full potential in the life of this parish, the wider hinterland you serve, and indeed in your ministry to the world? And in that context, since it is St. Andrew's Day, I couldn't resist the thought of preaching about St. Andrew and his discipleship. Uh, That reading we had read just now, right at the start, in a sense, of his Christian discipleship, a very close position to those of you coming for baptism and confirmation tonight. And if we only had the evidence of the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Uh, we would know very, very little indeed about St. Andrew. We'd know he was a fisherman. Uh, We'd know that he was one of the first apostles. We'd know that he had a brother called Simon. And we'd know that at least some of the time he was part of Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James, and John, and at times Andrew as well. That much we would know. Uh, The rest would be pretty... um, pretty vague. It's John's gospel that's the really exciting gospel when you come to look at St. Andrew. Even the the, uh, early church don't give us much history on St. Andrew. You'll know the St. Andrew's cross, the Scottish flag, and the tradition that uh, St. Andrew was crucified like that in an X-shaped position. You'll know that. Uh, but that uh, tradition doesn't appear for several hundred years after his death. It's John's gospel that you go to if you want to find out about St. Andrew. And the first thing I noticed about him, and there are three real big stories about St. Andrew in John's gospel, the first thing I noticed about him was he took his family seriously. And that was in the reading we had read just now. Uh, Remember the story? There is John the Baptist. Andrew has joined John the Baptist as one of his disciples, and John has pointed him towards Jesus. So off uh, Andrew goes. He meets with Jesus. What do you want, says Jesus? Rabbi, where are you staying, he asks. Come and see. And that whole day, Andrew spent with Jesus. And he could have kept that to himself, but he didn't. The first thing he did was to find his brother, Simon. And to me, his approach to Simon was slightly risky. He could have said, "Uh, Simon, I just want you to know we found this really interesting rabbi. It's well worth coming to have a chat with him. But he didn't. He said, we found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. He's the first apostle to talk of Jesus as being 
the Messiah. John the Baptist had got some of the way there already, but it's Andrew who makes that profession. And he does it to his brother. Don't know how your families operate. I have two brothers, and conversations are usually very amicable, but they can be a bit risky at times. And here is Andrew saying to Peter, we found the Messiah, the Christ. He could have had it flown straight back in his face. But he took his family seriously as any good Jew does. We found the Messiah, the Christ. I don't know if you noticed what happened next. But he couldn't have done because the reading finished at that point. It's the next verse that's a very telling one. And Jesus says to Simon, your Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. In other words, you are going to have the preferential post in my band of followers. Uh, We have three children. And um, those of you who are parents will understand this. Uh, when you have to uh, say nice things about them, and they start asking you, am I your favorite, this, that, or the other? So I've become very adept over the years, if I can remember their ages, at saying, uh, yes, you're my favorite five-year-old, or 15-year-old, or still 25-year-old. It goes on. Peter here is given the point of preference. And we never get a single feeling that Andrew objected to that. Could have done. Could have felt his nose was out of joint. Could have felt that it was unfair. I mean, he'd brought Peter to Jesus. But he didn't. He took his family seriously. And often, that's the way God works. I'm sure if we went round the uh, congregation tonight, there'd be stories of children who've come to faith through their parents or their siblings, stories of parents who've come to faith through their children. God works so often in families. I was reminded that this morning... Uh, from an email I received from John and Rosamond Leach. Some of you may know of them. John taught at uh, St. Edward's for many years. I got to know them when their elder son, James, started coming to Sago. He's now the number two at uh, Gerard's Cross, which is a similar-sized church to this one, and doing a fabulous job there. But uh, he had a younger brother, Edward, who's been battling with cancer for several years, and he died this morning at the age of 46, leaving three children. That family needs our prayers. His wife does. The grandparents do. But it has been, even at a distance, and they're out in Canada, a wonderful story to share in over the years have they testified to the faithfulness of God in the midst of the cancer.
God works in families. And St. Andrew took families seriously, as you do. It's something to remember in our Christian discipleship. So that's the first story about St. Andrew in John's Gospel. The second one comes in John chapter 6. It's the feeding of the 5,000. You'll remember the story. Um, There they all are, um, coming and gathering round Jesus. There's about 5,000 there, and he poses poor old Philip a difficult question. John chapter 6, verse 5. Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? And Philip, the uh, ever practical one, says eight months' wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And then something extraordinary happens. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And you remember the story, they went as far as feeding everybody. And I'd love to know the back story about why that boy had come to Andrew. I think almost certainly it was because he took children seriously. Children know full well Adults who are interested in them and adults who are not. Andrew was someone who a child recognized as believing that he was important. And that gives me a chance to say thank you to the unsung heroes who care for our children week by week, who run the Pathfinders and the children's activities of all sorts. Thank you. You take children seriously. You take children seriously in this church. And thank God for that, as Andrew did. Because our children are a major challenge facing us today. So often they've been starved of knowledge of Christianity They've been starved of spiritual experience. And I thank God for the ministry of teachers in our independent schools, in our community schools, in our church schools. Thank God for them. Thank God for the growth of Messy Church. Now there's about uh, 2,500 registered around the country. And they've all come through the ministry of Lucy Moore in human terms. I thank God for people like uh, Paul and Joanna Clifford who left uh, St. Andrews and are now worshipping regularly at Bletchingdon and Kirtlington and Chesterton and running Messy Church there. I thank God for the growth of prayer spaces in our schools. I thank God for churches like your own that take schools ministry very seriously. Because Andrew was like that. He took children seriously. One of the things I always uh, do, if I possibly can nowadays, when we're recruiting a vicar, is to send them into schools. Uh, The reason is very simple. Uh, 
Every parish says we want someone who's good with children and young people. There is no better test to find out whether they are or not, because they'll all tell you they are. There's no better test than to put them in front of a bunch of children. And usually nowadays they're getting interviewed by school councils. And it is an utterly terrifying experience. They find the interview panels much easier. So it's when the six-year-old saying, uh, what's your view of God then? Or someone had this one last week. Um, do you think everybody should be a Christian? Take some pondering that and then replying to an eight-year-old. Uh, they ask the big questions to children, but they need to be given the chance to do so. And Andrew was one of those people who took children seriously. And that's our calling too. He took families seriously. He took children seriously. And the final thing is he took outsiders seriously. And that's in John 12. Uh, the scene has moved. We're now in Jerusalem. John 12, uh, verse 20. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. In other words, these are Gentiles. They're not Jews. But they are what are most commonly known as God-fearers. They're interested in Judaism. They've taken the trouble to come up to Jerusalem for the great feast. And they come to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Probably they go to Philip because he's got a Greek name, so they think they'll get a decent response. And what does Philip do? He goes and tells Andrew. Philip likes to move in a pair. He likes to have a friend with him. Very sensible tactic. And Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And Philip did that because he was confident that Andrew would respond to the outsider. He was confident that Andrew had grasped the fact that Jesus wasn't just there for the Jewish nation, that he'd come to serve all. And where does that fit in to your ministry here? Well, in one very obvious way, the world comes to Oxford. And it's great that it does. And I won't use this opportunity, other than mildly, to regret the way all political parties over the last few decades have uh, sought to squeeze out overseas students. One of the most foolish things any government could ever do. And I just thank God that despite all the, all the barriers we've thrown up, plenty of students come here to Oxford. It's wonderful that they do. And it's a huge privilege. And thank God for the way you've responded down the generations to care and support and encourage those students. But you don't have to come from overseas to be an outsider. Uh, this morning I was uh, preaching on the same theme up in the village of Shutford. 
Some of you may not know where Shutford is. It's Banbury and turn left. Uh, But one of the things I said in the course of that sermon is, how long does it take to become a real live member of that village? Someone came up to me afterwards and said, well, we've been here 35 years and we think we're getting there. But for others, of course, you actually need to be born there before you're a real insider. Who are the outsiders that we have? Tragically, of course, this city is split in all kinds of ways, has been for centuries. Town and gown, north and east Oxford, city and county, those inside the ring road and those outside it, insiders and outsiders. All right, it doesn't work smoothly, but the barriers are there. And tragically, very often, our own church structures have reflected the same barriers. You can plot them fairly easily. And our job is to break them down. There are no outsiders when it comes to the love of Christ. And St. Andrew had grasped that. So thank you. Thank you for those who've uh, gone from here at times and are serving in what sometimes are quite lonely places in the rest of Oxfordshire, which is my day-to-day responsibility. I think of uh, people like Andrew Pritchard-Keynes, now up in Beckley and Stanton St. John and places like that. I think of Paula Clifford, now serving in Minster Lovell. I think of David Bendor Samuel, about to join Andrew uh, Pritchard-Keynes. I think of the wonderful lay person, and I've forgotten her name, but I met her the other night at Kingston Bagpuis. She, she comes here, but she's also getting stuck in there. Dizzy? Thank you very much. Great. Very exciting to see what that means to David Pickering and Andrew Symes and the others up there. Andrew was someone, someone who reached out to the outsider. He reached out in fresh ways. He took the outsider seriously. So he's not a bad patron saint to have if you're being baptized or confirmed tonight. Someone who took children seriously and the family seriously and outsiders seriously. And you'll remember that bit from the other Gospels that we do know about Andrew. That time he was called. Come on, said Jesus. Come on, said Jesus to Simon Peter and to Andrew. Come on, and I'll make you fishers of men and women in bringing them to faith. And that's a great calling for all of us forevermore. Amen.